We'll read now from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 26 to the end of the chapter that describe the events that we celebrate here on Good Friday. Tonight's a night where if you read your Bible on your phone, it's an advantage to you because it'll be well lit for you. Uh, But if you're able to follow along and desire to, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, beginning in verse 26. We read, as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of the women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that have never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they'll begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? For we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one yet had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who'd come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. What's here described has been summarized for us in creeds written by Christians who lived thousands of years ago when they put down in some of the earliest creeds that we believe in Jesus who suffered under Pontius Pilate 
was crucified, dead, and buried. Those aren't just redundant terms, but each one of them is important, that Jesus who came suffered, was crucified, dead, and buried. This is what's described for us here, not only by Luke, but all the gospel writers give us the most amount of detail about the final moments of Jesus' life. And it's their way as writers to say what happens here in these final moments, we have to understand if we're going to make sense of who Jesus is and why he came. I'd like to just ask three questions of this passage before we go into a celebration of communion. As we reflect on them, the first question is, how can we know that this is true? As we're now reading it, 2,000 years removed from these events, how can we know this is true? Well, actually, Luke opened his gospel in the very first four verses by saying that he set out to write this gospel to answer this question. He was a physician by training. He had met followers of Jesus. He joined them on missionary journeys and heard what they were saying. And he took it upon himself to gather what he had heard and learned and to write an orderly account of it. And at the beginning of his gospel, he addresses someone specifically named Theophilus. And he said to him, I'm writing this to you, Theophilus, so that you can have certainty about the things that have taken place. He wanted him to know that what he was describing was in fact true. It really, really happened. And here in his account, we get a bit of a physician's description on these final events. Luke would have known life and death. He would have known disease and suffering as a part of just the routine of what it was his vocation. And as he describes what happened to Jesus and how people respond to him and what Jesus is able to do, all of it fits and makes sense in a story of someone who suffered and was crucified and died. The first thing that we read is that Jesus had already suffered so much up to the point where we began that someone else is called alongside to carry the cross for him. We don't know much about him. His name is Simon. He's from Cyrene. He's from the north of Africa. He's there, like many Jews, had gathered from all over the world to celebrate Passover. But the body of Jesus had been weakened enough already at this point in suffering that the physical burden of carrying his cross is assigned to someone else. And in that, now Jesus, no longer carrying the cross, is able to say something. And he addresses the women who are gathered and weeping, and he warns them. And he says to them, if this is what's happening to me, imagine what's going to happen when the authorities come after this whole city long after I'm gone. It's what Jesus had been warning them about all along the way, that Jerusalem itself was going to be destroyed, that the temple itself was going to be crushed. And so he's saying to them again, don't weep for me. Be prepared for what's going to happen in that day. But as that morning and then into the afternoon drag on, we see that Jesus' words become fewer and fewer. Right? If, if he was up on the cross and then all of a sudden was able to speak pages and pages of material and gave the Sermon on the Mount, we would say, it doesn't really sound like a man dying. <laughs> That doesn't seem true. 
But as Luke describes what's going on and the suffering that he's experienced and then the exhaustion that comes upon him and the pain that he's in, eventually what we get are simply brief sentences from Jesus in the cross that makes perfect sense of someone who is under pain, under exhaustion. I actually got this text on my way in as I was driving here for the service. It's a friend of mine whose father's in the hospital and I hadn't heard an update for the last two days. And so he wrote, Hi, Peter. Dad is passing peacefully. God has been so present, so kind to us. I'll let you know when he's gone home. And any of you who've been in that experience of seeing someone close to death, close to passing, you know in those moments exhaustion sets in, weakness manifests itself, words are few. And we see this happening to Jesus as Luke the physician is describing what's going on. And we say, yeah, that that makes sense. That, that, That seems a reliable account of what would happen if it's really true that he suffered and that he was crucified. Luke isn't dramatic about it. He doesn't point us to a bunch of gory details. He's authentic. He's honest. He gives us enough information to say, yes, this this is plausible. This is what happens to someone who suffers in this way. Well, if it is true, and he's giving us an accurate account, that any of us, even though we're removed from it in time and space, can look back and say, surely what's being described and how it's being presented to us is the final moments of someone's life. Well, then the question is, well, how could we call this good? What's good about this? Why in the world would we call this Good Friday if what is being described is the suffering of someone who was crucified and then dead and buried? Well, for that, we find it in what Jesus says in the brief words that he offers from the cross. The first one is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then when a thief who defends his honor while another, per- another criminal is making fun of him and asks of Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That he, though suffering, being crucified, dead and buried, is the one who can pronounce forgiveness. He's the one who can say, today you will be with me in paradise. And he's not saying that in spite of what he's going through. He's saying it because of what he's going through. Because he's suffering. And because he's being crucified. Because he will die and be buried. He has the authority to pronounce forgiveness on all of us who are guilty. And he also has the authority to provide us comfort when we're convicted of our sin, to give us assurance and to say that if we believe in him and if we ask him 
for mercy, that he is the one who can say to us, today we can be in paradise with him. It just struck me this week in studying this passage in a way that it hadn't before. That in those final moments, it was a criminal who defended his honor. Right? At his baptism, what's told is that the heavens opened up and the voice of the Father came and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And right before that, it was his cousin John who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When we think about someone near death, it's usually reserved when someone speaks on their behalf that the person who speaks on their behalf is someone who knows them well and has loved them well and can say a good word about them. And in the life of Jesus, God sent into this world, it's a criminal who's about to die for crimes he had committed, who defends the honor of the one who dies. And then right after he dies, it's a soldier who'd been assigned to put them on the cross who says, certainly, this man was innocent. What an amazing truth that God would allow those two people the opportunity to speak the good word about the son who suffered was crucified, dead, and buried. This is how this is good news. It was good news for those who were watching and weeping that Jesus could say and speak forgiveness. It was good news for any of us who looked to him and asked to, be, to gain entrance into the kingdom that because of what he's doing, he can say to us, we will be in paradise with him. Everything that we lost but still long for in paradise is something that he regained and can give freely because of his death on the cross. And then the next question I ask is, if this is true and we can really call this good, then how can this give us hope? How can celebrating this and remembering such awful events give us hope for the future? And here, I think Luke is just incredibly gracious as he retells this story to put specific names and people into the story so that you and I can have hope. Where we don't know Simon's background, but we see that as he encountered Jesus, his life was never the same again. That he had the honor to carry his cross. We don't know anything about the thief before this moment, but in encountering Jesus, he has the assurance of salvation. We didn't know much about Joseph of Arimathea, but then we're told he didn't approve of this. And the honor that he has to request from Pilate to take the body down. He had a position of authority. He, therefore, in that authority, would have had access to go to Pilate to even make the request. So that what just hours before looked like, man, everyone's against him and everyone's speaking against Jesus. We see this miracle of a heart that was not hardened that saw what was going on and did not approve and goes to Pilate and says, can I take his body and put him in my own grave? He was a wealthy person who was able to afford to buy his grave before he was gone. 
in all of this, we see what is the beginning of the church, the body of Christ. Someone from Africa, a Roman soldier, someone on the council, the women who are weeping, young and old, slave and free, male and female. This is for whom Jesus died. And it's a way that as Luke retells this story to give all of us hope that whoever we are, wherever we've come from, when we encounter Christ and see him for who he is and see the love that he has for us, everything can be different from that moment on. And we can have relationships with people who are totally different that we never would have known before. And that's hope that the cross, that Good Friday gives to us because we know it's true and we see the good that God intended for it. We can have hope in the work that Christ is now doing through his body, the church. And so we do call this Good Friday and we invite all of you who know Christ, who have asked him if you could enter into his kingdom on his authority and on the basis of his sacrifice for you to celebrate because it's what Jesus told all of his disciples right before he went on the cross. He told them to take and eat of the bread and to drink of the cup and to proclaim his death until he comes again to receive us home. If you're someone who's here tonight and you don't know if you believe in Jesus, you don't know if you've ever asked him to be your savior, we encourage you, you can still walk forward with everyone else but if you want to take this as an opportunity instead of partaking but to allow this to be a moment of reflection as everyone else partakes and to consider what questions you still have about him that you'd love to have answered to consider who he is and why he did what he did and it's something we'd love to talk to you about but I'll pray and then I'll invite everyone to come forward and we'll partake together in communion let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you that you were willing to suffer, to be crucified, to die, and to be buried. All things that we know in our own lives we experience in different ways, but that you seated in heaven with the Father, intentionally chose to come and to experience. And we thank you that therefore your Son has the full authority to proclaim forgiveness, to restore to us the paradise that's been lost, and then to bid us to come and drink and to partake and to find ourselves a part of a new community of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, but with all of us, with our eyes fixed on you. We thank you for your great love for us. We bless your name now as we partake of your broken body and your shed blood. Amen.